Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SCS Nation? Welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And a great show on tap tonight, as per usual, the fastest 60 to 90 minutes in your lifetimes is about to happen. Lori Vallow, she is the so-called doomsday mom. Uh, it is the wildly twisted story of a seemingly loving mother, a devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who becomes involved in the deaths of as many as five people, including her own children. Uh, she was convicted of murder and uh, was just brought to Maricopa County, otherwise known as Phoenix, Arizona, to face more charges. Meanwhile, her imprisoned husband, Chad Daybell, prepares for his own murder trial. We're going to get all caught up with the best guest, starting off with that beautiful background. Uh, that is Gigi McKelvey, host of the popular true crime podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis, one of my favorite names right up there with Body Bags by Joe Scott Morgan. Love that name, too. Uh, Gigi spent six weeks in Boise, Idaho, covering the Lori Vallow Daybell trial for Law and Crime and News Nation. And she's produced over 50 podcasts on this story for Pretty Lies and Alibis, so no one knows it better. Then you've got Jean Fisher with the earbuds in. She recently retired after nearly 33 years of service at the Ada County Prosecutor's Office as the Special Crimes Unit Chief. She went back uh, during law school knowing that she wanted to do this. She started, I think, as an intern. By 1997, she became the supervisor of the Sexual Assault Unit and has focused on those cases ever since. And certainly, last but not least, Tara Malik, a rising superstar in the world of true crime right here. She is an Idaho licensed attorney. She bounces all over uh, the great state of Idaho. She practices in state and federal court in business and commercial litigation and has experience in both civil and criminal law. Before we get started, just a quick note. Please, if you can, support us on Patreon. Please, if you can, support us on YouTube. If you can't do that, I know times are tough and everyone's spending money on gifts right now. It's that time of year. Um, please give us five stars. Not like that horrible human being that gave us one star and outed Carmela and said that she didn't like Carm. How dare she? Please give us five stars. It helps us a lot. A couple of quick programming notes. Tomorrow night, we've got a really interesting show at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we have divorce experts on. We're going to talk about why some of these divorces are turning deadly, i.e. Dan Markell, Wendy Adelson, <laughs> and you've got Jared Bridegan and Shanna Gardner. Why are they turning to murder with divorce experts, 8 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night? There you go. The COE's on it. Then Ruth Markell is going to be uh, the centerpiece of this special event in South Florida where we are. Come on down. It's warmer down here than it is everywhere else. Wednesday, December 20th. Uh, and it is going to be at, uh, I, I know where it's going to be, Jafco, but I don't know the address. But I will, once again, I put this out uh, on social media. Uh, it's going to be a really special night. Ruth Markell, as I said, the centerpiece of this. But Dave Arenberg, the Florida State Attorney, will be there. And Dennis Murphy, the Dateline correspondent 
who handled the Dan Markell murder story for them will be there as well. And yours truly uh, will just simply be moderating. And one final note the COE reminded me about. Yours truly was on today's episode of Nancy Grace's audio podcast. I don't want to butcher the name. I should know it because I did the show, um, but I think it's crime stories. I could be wrong, uh, but we're going to put the link out. Look at this. I was just watching Joel on Nancy Grace. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, Nancy reprimanded me. So that is a badge of honor in a Nancy Grace kind of way. Uh, you have to listen to find out. But she's uh, she's really a phenomenal person, really sweethearted. And uh, I was happy to do it and hope to do it again. Enough of me talking. Um what a day. Gigi McKelvey, uh, before I even drop any details on uh, all of us, Lori Vallow, you, you lived, breathed, and ate this case uh, figuratively and literally. Um, she's back in court tomorrow. What's really the gist of this tomorrow? Well, it's her arraignment for the two uh, conspiracy to commit murder charges for her fourth husband, Charles Vallow, and her ex-nephew-in-law, Brandon Boudreau, who miraculously by inches survived a bullet shot by Alex Cox. And so finally, some justice for Charles and Brandon. It's, um, you know, we've wrapped things up in Idaho for her and she's kind of fallen into the bowels of the prison system. But now she's back in the spotlight with uh, with some justice for these two. It's, it's, you know, Charles was the first victim. And it's really so sad to go back and watch those body cam videos because everything Charles said she was gonna do to him, I mean, it kind of actually happened. And nobody took him serious. So I think this is his time and Brandon's time. And, and I'm glad. I think, and I'm glad it's now. I'm glad we didn't wait a year or two before we got her down there. Because she did not want to go to Arizona. Mm. Uh, even though it's, the weather's probably a little more temperate down there. By the way, uh, Frankie Figs. Wait, there's a second show? Yes, there is. Tonight, uh, there was an emergency motion filed on behalf of Donna Adelson. And uh, we are going to have Dan Markell's divorce attorney, great guy, Stephen Webster, along with Louis Baptiste. Uh, they have a practice together in Tallahassee. They're coming up at 830. So uh, as you can see here, the COE is on it. When this stream is ending, it should reroute you to the second live stream, 830 p.m. We're going to go through this emergency motion, almost paragraph by paragraph. Uh, they are crying foul uh, when it comes to Donna Adelson's treatment behind bars. We'll show you uh, what her defense team is saying and what could possibly come as a result of that. And that is immediately following this show at 8.30 p.m. So um, Gene Fisher, Lori Vallow is due in this uh, Maricopa County court tom tomorrow. But just uh, and this is difficult, but important to remember in June 2020, investigators found uh, her children, J.J. and Tylee's bodies buried on Chad Daybell's Rexburg, Idaho property. And I I'm reading this because I think this is important to show you just the heinous nature of this crime. J.J. had been wrapped in plastic. He died of asphyxiation by a plastic bag over his head. Tylee's manner of death uh, remains unknown as her body was dismembered and remains were burned before she was buried. Uh, just absolutely horrible. Um, Gene, if you can, kind of walk us through this. So she's imprisoned um, in Idaho, but she was just extradited. We'll walk through that. Uh, what is the process here? Some people say, you know, she's already serving life without parole. She's never getting out. So why bother to send her to Maricopa County? Well, 
you know, the families for, for Charles, um, you know, and, and I apologize, uh, Bright, I apologize, Brandon. Brandon, I mean, they still deserve their day um, and they still deserve to have justice served for the loss of their loved ones. Um, and, you know, as Gigi talked about, especially as it relates to Charles, I mean, he had been talking about the Lori's declining mental health. He was he was fearful. He, he called for some help. Um, you know, whether people didn't believe him or just didn't see it at the time, but um, I think that the families definitely deserve their day in court. And, um, and you never know what will happen, right? I mean, uh, these cases, you know, this case went to trial. There's always appeal issues. There's always something that could happen. I think that the judge had a good case, but God help us if something happened that they had to start over. I mean, you know, the, the Arizona, the Arizona citizens have their day in court and, and that's what's coming next and they deserve it. Uh, well put. And Tara, uh, I assume you obviously agree with that. Um, so again, she's extradited uh, in Arizona. Now she's facing uh, one count of first degree murder and premeditated murder. And that is for her ex-husband, Charles Vallow and uh, Brandon Boudreaux, uh, who is uh that's who Gigi was obviously referring to. Um, she's already convicted of murdering her two children um, and Chad's wife, Tammy Daybell. Um, it's a dumb question, but I mean, these charges of first degree murder and then premeditated first degree murder. Um, number one, I mean, they are the most serious of charges, right? But what what is at least in Idaho? Do you know the difference between um First degree murder and then premeditated first uh, degree murder. How, how big a difference is there? And what is it? Well, there. So there are differences in every state on what you can and can't do. And I, I would say even a bigger issue that I think will come up or may come up in Arizona that couldn't come up in Idaho was this whole insanity defense. Um, Arizona has an insanity defense, and I know we've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, Arizona has an affirmative insanity defense. Idaho does not have that. So, you know, one of the differences that, um, or, or I guess the, the defenses that she could put on in Arizona that she wasn't able to put on here in Idaho is whether or not at the time um, that these, you know, murders were committed or these acts were committed, whether she was insane by the legal definition of what insanity means. So, um, you know, to me, those types of nuances, that type of affirmative defense can really um, potentially put her in a different position than she was in Idaho. Uh, that's a really, really important uh, distinction there. Gigi, uh, do you think that she will use an insanity defense here? Also, are you planning to cover this? And also, do we know when this trial might actually begin for Lori? They've got a trial date set for April. It, it's going to overlap with Chad's if it stays. Who knows? It may get continued and not actually happen like most. But um, so I was thinking about going out for the arraignment, but it's so quick and it's a, it's across the country. I, I would love to sit in that one. With Chad's being live streamed, I don't feel the urgency to go stay in Boise for eight weeks this time, which is nice. So um, I would like to go cover this one out there. So we'll see if anybody wants to send me. 
Um, but yeah, so I think tomorrow, just the arraignment. And we, we had this really high definition video. I've never seen anything like this before of kind of the intake process after she got to Maricopa County. Kind of looks smug, looked like she's very comfortable in her prison shoes and she's acclimated. I just don't know that she'll use insanity because she wouldn't let her attorneys in Boise use insanity. And that was, you know, allegations against her own children. And I think that, you know, she probably still thinks in her own mind she's this exalted goddess. This is kind of like her earthly purgatory. And so, no, I really don't think she'll use insanity. I just because she was so adamant not to have it up there. And uh, she made a statement in court uh, post-conviction this past July. And I quote here, um, she denies murdering her children. And the quote is, Jesus Christ knows the truth of what happened here. No one was murdered in this case. Accidental deaths happen. Suicides happen. Fatal side effects from medications happen. Gigi, what's she referring to, and is she out of her mind? I don't know what she's referring to. It's, I mean, it's look, here's the thing with Lori. I always say this. She can say that people can say she was crazy, and maybe that's part of it. You can definitely be mentally ill. I don't want to say crazy. That's disrespectful to mental illness, but... Uh, you can be culpable and mentally ill at the same time. She made up so many intricate lies about the whereabouts of JJ and Tylee to everybody that you only do that when you know telling the truth is going to land you in jail or prison. She did the same thing with Charles. They had these stories that were kind of the same when you pick them apart. There were a lot of major red flags about little things that made a big difference in whether or not their stories were fluid. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I just think it's going to be interesting to see what she does. Um, we'll see. She's very unpredictable, but I just think she's a lot of evil, a little bit mentally ill. And, um, you know, maybe 50-50 because sitting in there and you just talked about it, that statement she made at the end of sentencing, we were all just, our mouths were wide open. We knew it came down to the very last minute whether or not she was going to testify. <coughs> and she wanted to somehow her attorneys backed her off that ledge. So she used that post-sentencing moment to get her thoughts out of there. And we all <laughs> just like, you know, wow. I mean, it's just, it didn't make sense. None of it made sense. Accidental deaths, overdoses. You're telling me that like two, your, both your kids, you know, bam, bam, back to back within weeks had tragic accidents. Why didn't you call 911 if somebody accidentally overdosed? You know, it, none of it makes sense, but it's Lori Vallow, so maybe it shouldn't. Uh, NJ Coolchick from my home state, Gigi Studio, looks so zen. Uh, Gigi's a pretty zen human being. Um, Taylor Burton, to you, uh, Tara, I'm throwing you the hard questions tonight. Um, what about the Arizona PD, which seemed to have been negligent? So there's body cam footage of this, and I know you guys are in Idaho, but Charles Vallow, the ex-husband, basically called police, and Gigi could fill in some of the details here, but um, they basically... People say, I have to be careful with how I say this, I guess, that, you know, they didn't respond <coughs> properly. They didn't take his, his concerns properly. Um, can a police department be negligent in that regards, at least from a legal standpoint, you know, or is that really tough um, to prove? It, it, so it is tough. There's a civil suit that you can file if, if you know, you believe that a law enforcement officer, law enforcement agency has... Um, you know, done something wrong and has, 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 um, for lack of a better word, kind of shirked their duty or obligations. 
um, that would be a civil lawsuit that they would file. I remember watching those body cam footage and, and also Lori's interview and how she was so, you know, flippant about everything and explaining everything away and just making what seemed like these kind of weird um, connections with law enforcement as she was talking to them and poo-pooing it. And, and so I can definitely understand you know, the concerns. Now we're, we are not privy, obviously, as the public to every single thing that law enforcement had at that time. So to be seen, right, much like it was in the Vallow case through discovery, we got a lot of information that started leaking out and that we ultimately saw at trial. Um, so perhaps, I mean, the family of Charles perhaps may have a claim, but without, you know, kind of getting the nitty gritty of, of all of those police records and what happened and what they did and didn't do, what information they had to make those choices. Um, I think it would be really hard, you know, generally to file that type of claim, but also specifically in this instance. Uh, and Jean, um, tomorrow again, Lori Vallow has her Maricopa County arraignment. Uh, you've obviously been involved in uh, a lot of those. But for those of us who are less um, lawyerly savvy, if you will, uh, just walk us through, you know, what is what is really an arraignment? How long is it going to last? What's going to happen tomorrow with her? I suspect it'll be a very short um, session in court. The judge will formally read the charges to Lori, um, as well as make that formal appointment for um, a public defender. She did already have one hearing in front of the court that Gigi mentioned, um, where Lori interacted quite a bit, actually, with the judge, asked a lot of very pertinent questions about um, the charges about whether or not the cases would be joined together or if she'd be getting two different lawyers, um, which all goes, um, you know, obviously to her ability to understand the charges against her. And I think she would have a very difficult time at this point um, trying to raise a mental health defense because um, she was quite savvy uh, the other day in court as well. So tomorrow's hearing will be pretty formal. Um, formally reading those dates and giving her um, her formal assignment of her public defender um, and whether or not there's one lawyer or two lawyers assigned to each case. Um, and then they'll, I suspect they'll set the, cater the case over for further proceedings, either to set the case for trial and or to combine the cases if the state is going to intend to try and combine them in some form or fashion. But tomorrow will be pretty perfunctory um, and relatively short, and Lori won't have much talking to do tomorrow. Gigi, are you surprised um, that she seems to have adjusted somewhat well to prison life? Because I can tell you, Donna Adelson, who we're going to talk about at 8.30 tonight, complete 180. She's suffering in there, basically having what amounts to a nervous breakdown, it seems like. And we're going to cover that again at 8.30. But are you surprised that she's doing relatively well, at least from what we can tell? Oh, lost your audio, Gigi. Uh, Come on, Joel. I thought you were good at reading lips now. There you um, go. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I think Lori, a lot of her life has been like a chameleon. She sort of adapts to whatever environment she's in, and she's an opportunist. So if Lori has found any in with any of these other inmates, you know, makes her look good. She's a hairdresser, so I know that's kind of the, the hot job in prison. But one day down the line, could that be something that gives her a little bonus? I don't know, but... The last I heard, she was in solitary in Idaho, so maybe she doesn't interact, but 
I have talked to people that interact with her on a regular basis and they talk about regular things, just uh, nothing too crazy. But I think Lori, you know, in her mind, um, I think she knows where she is for the rest of her life. And so I, I was actually really surprised at kind of how cocky she was. Um, no fear in her eyes. And um, yeah, I, and like she said, the fact that she was asking these detailed questions, you know, am I gonna have more than one attorney? Is this gonna be two separate proceedings, one proceeding? I mean, she knows what she's doing. She's been in the system since what, 2020? So February of 2020 is when, is that February? Yeah, February, I think. Lord have mercy, Joel, all these dates. But well, you know, up she's years. not a stranger anymore either. So yeah. she's she's been in a while. So, so, Gene, I ask everybody this. Um, to me, there's no bigger deterrent than prison. Um, it is a nightmare scenario. If I had to go to prison, like Charlie Adelson just got convicted, I would, I'd be like Don Adelson. I'd be losing my mind, crying, singing, and curled up in a ball in the corner of my cell. What is it about people who commit these crimes where they are not thinking? I ask everyone this, but you've been around a long time, Gene. Why are they not thinking about the next step that I'm going to be caught, I'm going to be incarcerated for the rest of my life? I'm basically going to be the property of the state or the federal government, and I'm going to rot in prison. Why don't they think about that? Well, uh, well, one, I, some of, many of them don't think that they're ever going to get caught. So, mm -hmm. I mean, they don't think too far around the corner on many of these things. But I think more importantly, I think it kind of goes to the, the psychological crim, criminology aspect of, of who they are. I mean, I think anybody who commits murder, especially a Lori Vallow or anybody, who commits, there, there's, there's always something mentally wrong with them short of, you know, a, a pure crime of passion. But even that has some mental illness components to it of a lack of impulse and the ability to, you know, back off of a situation. And so I think anybody who commits that crime and um, any serious crime is going to have a mental health uh, diagnosis. But as Gigi said, you can be mentally ill and, and very competent at the same time. But most of these people don't think they're going to get caught or they they are believe that they're justified in what they did. Um, and Lori's got a little bit of both going on with the religious component um, and some overreaching, arching, you know, cult-like mentality about what has happened. Um, but I think Lori's going to settle into prison just fine. I mean, looking at her, you know, I agree. I think she's going to find her, find her, uh, her, her BFFs and uh, Lori's going to do just fine in prison. Tara Malik, how would you do in prison, Tara? Are you resourceful? No, I don't. You know, I, I can't I'm see you scrappy. there. But you... No, I, I'm scrappy. I mean, I could get away, but I'm not sure I would like to thrive in prison. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna stick to staying out as, I like, as a, like, you know, <laughs> I'm like. I feel like the COE would be good in prison. She's very scrappy too, very resourceful. Um, I would yeah. literally, I, I don't know how to say this any other way. I would just, I would lose my mind. Um, there's no other way to yeah. say it. I don't know how any, I agree. not to mention if you're high profile and you've got a target on your back, but enough about my uh, prison obsession. Um, <laughs> Gigi, let's remind everyone some of the insanity that was playing out here. Chad was definitely, this is according to Marvina here. Chad was definitely telling Lori to get rid of those kids, uh, JJ and Ty Lee, those poor kids, uh, per, his, per his messages about turning up the pain 
on them. Just remind people what that was about, this so-called cult. There are 144,000 followers. Um, you can just kind of remind everyone. Oh, well, it, it really kind of started with Lori uh, on Lori's end, re listening to these Julie Rowe podcasts, which she's an energy healer, that kind of thing. She got her brother hooked in on these podcasts. They're very radical. Don't follow modern L or like your your typical LDS teachings. It's a splinter thing. And um, then met Chad Daybell at a preparing a people conference. And then you had some fire and some gasoline and poof, they met. And then it really quickly just started. Everybody in their lives had to be gone is essentially what it came down to because Lori's fourth husband, Charles, was murdered. Chad's wife, Tammy, was murdered. And the two kids that were in Lori's custody were murdered. Alex drops over dead the day after, or the day the day after they exhumed Tammy Daybell's body. None of it's a coincidence. They wanted a fresh start and go be their exalted selves, you know, wherever. Apparently, Hawaii. Um, I mean, hey, if that's exalted and I can go hang out on the island... <laughs> Maybe I'll be exalted, but um, yeah. So that's really kind of it. And they had a few people, I call them the band of misfits that, you know, when Chad said, you know, I was the brother of Jesus in a past life, they were like, what? Oh my God, I'm going to follow you. So it's like-minded people that just believe a lot of hogwash. And then we have all this. So just- I don't know comments. if anyone saw, um, I don't know if anyone saw Twin Flames on Netflix, but I watched that with a COE. It's basically about- basically a cult where they tell you they have this twin flame in your life that you're meant to be with. And it's just, it's mind blowing the things that people start to believe in kind of this cult like environment. We've had Rick Allen Ross on who's kind of the preeminent cult leader. Um, but that show twin flames was totally insane. Uh, but Gigi back to you on this real quick. I still believe Trey says that Joe Ryan was the first victim of Lori and Alex, uh, Remind everyone of who Joe Ryan is and if you believe that this is the case as well. Joe Ryan was the biological father of Tylee and Lori's third husband. It's bad when you have to kind of think back. Yeah. You have to fill them all up on one hand. Yes, but there Charles. was a very messy divorce. We did, You're doing your divorce thing tomorrow night. And it was very contentious and a lot of allegations against Joe that were never founded. I talked to Tylee's guardian ad litem for hours about just that. And they felt like Lori fueled a lot of this on and coached Tylee. So, um, but he moved to Phoenix to try to be closer to Tylee. And just for a month, nobody heard from him. Well, his neighbors see um, flies outside of his door. They call a welfare check. He's moderately decomposed in there. What's interesting is this, Lori told somebody in Hawaii that her and Tylee had not heard from Joe for a while. Tylee had a key. They went in and found him dead. Now, she only told this to a friend, and this is from that friend's perspective. But I thought that spoke volumes. In the crime scene photos, one of the things that I saw was a pair of women's sunglasses right next to the sink. And as far as we know, Joe was not seeing anybody. He was kind of depressed. He was not doing well. Um, he had been tased by Lori's brother, Alex Cox, years before and some, suffered some some back injuries and things. And um, so it's, it's a mystery. Why would Lori say that they saw that if they didn't? Yeah, and uh, Alex Cox, Lori's brother, died in natural causes, they say. I find that um, maybe a little suspicious. Yeah. Uh, little, but I'm no corner. Um, Yala, how does STS decide which cases to cover? A dartboard, of course. We've got a dartboard <laughs> in our room and we just no we uh 
you know, we see what's trending, what we're interested in. Uh, we're in South Florida, the Adelson case, and Dan Markell was obviously huge here. Shanna Gardner and Jared Bridegan is going to be a very big trial. Um, but things that are, there you go. Look at that mug. She got that at CrimeCon. Yes, SGS I did. Mug. Yes, you did. And I love that mug. Um, thank you to Mary Griffin. Great job on Nancy Grace. Got to be honest, haven't listened to it. Carm is going to give me her uh, take on that. Uh, love Gigi's background. So, Gene, we got a statement from uh, Maricopa County from the sheriff's office. And I'm going to read it. It's a little boring, but I'm interested to, because of uh, the details of it. Um, Maricopa County Sheriff's Office deputies departed Maricopa County on November 27th by a vehicle traveling to Pocatello, Idaho, to take custody of an extradite accused murderer, Lori Vallow. Deputies from the extradition detail, blah, 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 and canine traveled by vehicle as it was determined weather conditions could impede seamless transfer due to potential air travel complications. How dangerous um, if at all, are these extraditions when you're, uh, you know, basically shipping inmates from one um, one area to another? And uh, I assume they take it incredibly seriously because they've got a canine there. But and that's kind of what stuck out to me. But how serious are the movements, especially these high profile prisoners? Oh, I have you muted. That's my fault. Those are weird noise. Go ahead, Gene. OK, uh, I mean, I mean, they certainly take it um take a lot of precautions and do a lot of planning on it once they know that they're going to come and extradite somebody. They have the option of either flying them or, or driving. They did make the decision in this case to drive. Um, but I'm sure that they had an entire team. Um, it wasn't just Lori and a deputy, uh, you know, driving in the front seat um, down to, down to Arizona. I mean, she's in the back seat. She's cuffed the entire time. Um, and the dog is there. They've got you know, more than, you know, at least two people on duty for that drive. Um, and they just drove straight on through. Um, it was interesting, you know, preparing for this today, just looking at different comments. Apparently she was really very chatty, um, had lots of conversation with the transport team. And, um, you know, they, they, they arrived without incident. Yeah. Transportation of, of prisoners is, is, you know, really pretty common. I mean, they, you know, they, they, this happens all over the country um, in extradition proceedings. Um, and they, it isn't that it's advertised. Um, and then there are in some instances, if somebody is, um, you know, really super dangerous, um, they might charter um, a plane into more of a private, uh, you know, transport, but it's very expensive. Um, and, um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, they took all those considerations um, in this in this transport, but you know, you it makes for a better movie. Uh, the fact is, we're transporting you know prisoners back and forth across state lines all the time um, without really a lot of uh, fanfare. And by the way, there's an element of that that we're going to discuss on the next show at 8:30 tonight. There's a mention in this emergency motion filed on behalf of Don Adelson. Uh, it sounds like her transport from Miami up to Tallahassee. Uh, was uh, rife with problems, and uh, we'll get into that. So uh, not all transports are created equally, I guess. A little bit. Thank you for the super sticker here. Enjoyed listening to you on Nancy Grace. I need. It's pretty bad. I don't know the name of the show. Uh, McSpunky, love you uh, all. Joel Carm, CEO's Spacey, Space Coast does all the work behind the scenes. Our mods, SDS Nation family, 
as I always say, best guest, better community. Uh, look at this. Joel is outnumbered by the women, and it should always be that way. It is always that way in uh, my household. I have one son. My Carm has eight grandchildren, and only one of them is a grandson, and I was the one that provided the only son. My sister has <laughs> five daughters, so I should get Otherwise, my sister has been perfect her whole life, but what can you do? Um, Tara, 18 hours to extradite uh, Lori Vallow, but you got there. And as Jean was just saying, this is interesting to get when the, when the um, all this stuff is unsealed, you find out the quote is that she was very chatty and sociable. Um, she also has a new glam mugshot, which I don't have up. Look at this. Mumbai is back in the house. Michael Osel. Thank you for watching from Mumbai. Um, we are truly a global show. I love it. Um, but she's got this glam mugshot, uh, and I want to get Gigi's take on that too. But Tara, um, they say that now she's going to be isolated in a high-security area. This is according to the Maricopa County Sheriff, uh, Paul Penzone. Why do they have to isolate her now? Um, is it because she's once again in a new place and she's high-profile and there's a target on her? Yeah, I think probably a combination of all of those things, really. It's a high-profile case, and that um, that does carry with it some risks. I mean, there are some people who are in custody who do and um, seek out notoriety, and unfortunately, that can take the form of, you know, violence, prisoner-on-prisoner -prisoner violence. And so I think for her own sake and her... Um, you know, her safety and wellness, which they are responsible for, so long as she's in custody, they are going to be pretty cautious about the steps they take first. And if it looks like, you know, that's no longer necessary, uh, you know, they'll make a change from there. But but their primary purpose is to ensure that they're meeting their duties by keeping their inmates as safe as possible. Uh, Gigi, any comment? I, I wish we could bring it up, but we're... Uh crashing as they say in news on the next show because there's a lot of elements for that show um but this glam shot of uh lori valla what do you make of it she's all she's all dolled up yeah i noticed if you look really closely you can see that she had her uh toenails painted that's mm -hmm. true lori fashion you know the first time she had her arraignment in boise she came in you know with very noticeable makeup clearly her first time using jail stuff to do her makeup now she looks like she got the hang of it you know, wrapping her hair around the bars and stuff to get the curls. But, you know, going back to extradition, Joel, there would have been an incident if I were in that car because I would have hurled myself on that highway at some point if I had to listen to her yap her jaws <laughs> all the way from Idaho down to Maricopa County. Uh-uh. That, that had long... to come scrape me off the highway. That I, is I've a... been like, I'm out, y'all. I've done my time. That is a long 18 hours. Um, mm -mm. What's going on here when I see I'd be all... like, can you please use your right to remain silent, lady? <laughs> um, speaking about the law, Gene, uh, uh, from Kimberly, can Lori's conviction in Idaho play a part in Arizona? Uh, if there's a trial there, Gene, how does that factor in what, what happened in, in Idaho? My uh, best guess is that it will not get factored in. Um, those murders happened before um, these uh, murders in Idaho happened, um, and you can never use... Um, the crimes of um, something else in order to prove, you know, uh, somebody's motivation um, in another crime. So I, I think it would be um, really difficult probably for the state to try and 
bring in those sort of convictions um, for to try and prove that she did anything in the instance with um, her her first well second husband and Brandon. So I don't think the jury will hear anything about that. Yeah, that's my that's my best guess. And uh, Lindsay Shea, Gigi is a full podcast package. Great background, voice, sound quality, and most of all, and I have to agree, great person. Aww, Gigi is she is a rock star in the uh, in the world of podcasting. So uh, lo love to have her. Um, Gigi, back to you on this. So Brandon Boudreaux, he is Melanie, as she's known, ex husband, and like you said there was an attempted shooting and he was, he, he narrowly missed uh, leaving this earth as a result of that. And then you've got Charles Vallow, just again, because we haven't covered this in a while. They're the two main players in this case, just sort of break the two of them down. Charles Vallow, it seems died an unnecessarily premature death. And as I was saying before, he was basically pleading with police. Um, what about the two of them and how they fit it together or they don't? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they really kind of fit into the whole grand scheme of it because up until Lori met Chad, her and Charles may have had their issues, but they were married. And, you know, Colby has said in the past that was probably the most normal stretch of his life was being with Charles. Charles was grounded. You know, they had their issues, I'm sure. But ultimately, when Lori met Chad, um, she never felt like Charles was her spiritual equal, and she communicated that to people. But Chad, I guess in her eyes, was. So it became very emergent that I'm leaving you. And not only was it kind of divorce stuff, it was the religious stuff. You know, I, I bullets bounce off of me. I don't have to eat or use the bathroom anymore. I want to see her have a big slurp from 7-Eleven and see if she still says that. But you know, it, it it really was a rapid decline with Charles. He tried everything. Then it became a worry about JJ and Tylee. It always stood out to me when he said, I'm worried about my kids. They're, you know, six and seven and 16 or seven and 16 at the time. Um, yeah, so it's it it's just tragic when you look at it. Now, we know that Melanie's a lot like Lori, just up and left. Her husband, just kind of the same way. And they both were... Well, Charles was killed, Brandon was shot at, and we know Lori and Charles briefly got back together for like maybe a few days in April, right before the murder. He was in Texas with JJ. She went down and essentially made sure the life insurance policy was all good, and then she went back to Arizona, but eggs on her face because Kay Woodcock ended up being the beneficiary of that to take care of JJ in the future. So, um, you know, it was kind of, you look at it now, it's, I call it, you know, I, I think in lyrics, it's dirty deeds done dirt cheap because they got nothing but prison time. Mm. I mean, Chad did get the uh, the money from Tammy's, but, you know, they spent a little time in Hawaii, but he don't have it now because he's had an attorney for over three years. And in fact, that attorney has the deed to his house. So... A lot of deeds, dirty deeds done dirt cheap. ACDC, small Joel factoid. I've seen ACDC in concert five times in my life. I bet you most nice. people would not, not, uh, know. I used to have my ACDC concert shirts, but this was a long time ago. And I think they're all, uh, faded and gone. Ned Smith, right on cue. Gigi has good music trivia too. Yes, she does. Um, so let's, let's switch over here to, uh, back to Idaho. We've got Chad Daybell 
can I say he's dopey? He's kind of <laughs> very dopey to me. Um, dopey. Can I say that, Tara? Yes, okay. I think that's <laughs> that's an appropriate personal opinion that you can hold. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So the first issue here, um, Judge Boyce, who presided over Lori's case, he announced <laughs> uh, most recently that he's going to allow live streaming but he's not letting cameras in. Tara, what do you think of that? Good decision, bad decision. This way uh, they could basically control it um, off of their own YouTube channel. Your thoughts? You know, I, I, I would like to see cameras in the courtroom. I think that the, you know, it's, it's a public proceeding. The public has the right to know it. It can cut both ways though. I mean, the, the downside to having cameras is for, for people who, you know, maybe narcissists and are committing these crimes, it kind of puts them back in the limelight again and kind of feeds into that ego that they're carrying already. Um, but I think there's a lot of good of having the public informed and part of these processes. I think from a from an education standpoint, if nothing else, um, I think it's important. But, you know, we, we, uh, we saw how Lori's trial was treated. I'm not surprised that it's live streaming um, only in, uh, in Chad's case. Uh, from Tammy Irwin here, they tried to say, and Gene, I'll have you weigh in on this because you were just commenting on it. They tried to say that in her trial in Idaho, we wouldn't hear anything about the allegations in Arizona. Uh, and guess what? Those came out in her trial. So I say some of it will come in. So I guess we heard about Arizona in Idaho. And so uh, in Arizona, I guess there's a chance we could hear about Idaho. Correct. There's a chance, but Idaho's case was different <clears throat> because Idaho's cases came after the Arizona cases came. Mm -hmm. And in Idaho, she was charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Um, and so they brought in the whole plan of, of um, you know, the planning and the, um, cons the co-conspirators and all those conversations um, into the Idaho case. And so that is a legal standard that's a lot different. Um, than the first instance with Charles Vallo and and Brandon in Arizona. So I'm not saying that they wouldn't, but um, I do think it's a lot harder and it's a different legal um, analysis um, that I think will keep some of that out. Uh, Gigi getting major street cred for uh, bringing in ACDC into the commentary from Laurel Baker, uh, Don Hagerman, friends of the show. Uh, I am not T-Pain. Uh, this is a GG question, I think. Do you think Chad is still in love with Lori or will stay with her while they are? How do you stay with someone when you're in prison? What do you think? No, I always say I think he's going to run run her over and then he's going to back over again for good measure. She would not <laughs> let her attorneys turn on Chad or Alex, her brother, at her trial. Well, I mean, Chad, we've already kind of seen a hint of it. I mean, he's made some filings where he says, Look, you guys said Lori was the mastermind. You said my client just went along, which, by the way, I thought, did he just really admit that his client went along with Lori during the crimes? I mean, I was like, that wasn't very smart. But in these filings as of late, I think it's a very big indication that Chad knows literally his life is on the line. He's up for death in this. Well, it's going to be ruled on. I think it'll stick around. But he's got death on the table and, you know, Chad has to be sitting there thinking there's no way they're going to be back on the beach in Hawaii. What do I do? Maybe try to save myself from the needle. So, yeah, I think he's going to turn on her and, and all that jazz. And I'm here for it. Mm, look I want to see it. 
Look at this, Gigi, from Mia Bido. Joel, I just bought my 16-year-old son an ACDC t-shirt at Marshall's. If you have vintage originals, I wish I did. They're long gone. They're worth money at vintage clothing stores. I'm not T-Pain busting my you-know-what because she said was ACDC 80 years old when I saw them recently because she thinks of them as as old people. Um, <laughs> they're still like one of the best bands, definitely one of the highest-selling album-wise. Uh, ever ever to uh, exist so uh, by the way i'm taking the coe to see brian adams it's one of my favorite songs summer 69 gonna go uh, yeah. see that um no one really cares so um judge boyce back to chad daybell someone called him uh i forget what the name was just now I had to do with uh his chin though it was a good name i'll, I'll go back to it but um so judge boyce heard arguments on the other motions including a request to move Chad Daybell's trial back to East Idaho from Ada County, as well as a motion to strike the death penalty. Uh, Gene Fisher, what about these two requests to move to East Idaho, change a venue? Any chance that's happening? Uh, you know, my, my, I don't think that the judge is going to change the venue on this. Fremont County is very, very small. Um, and no matter how much, uh, press there has been. Honestly, I still believe that there are a lot more people in the Treasure Valley here in Ada County that haven't paid that close attention to this case and that they'll be able to get a jury um, here where they would have a very difficult time there. Um, so I don't see him moving that. Um, as far as the death penalty goes, um, that's a bigger legal question, um, a much bigger legal question. Now, I, you know, um, Lori's death penalty got taken off, you know, as you remember, that came about almost as a penalty against the state for some discovery violations. And it was a very, very unusual um, uh, decision by the judge. I mean, that just doesn't hardly ever happen. But I think he was also looking at getting this case and moving it along. There had been substantial delays in not only um, her mental health proceedings, but just, you know, getting this case off the ground. And by taking the death penalty off, uh, the off the table, they were able to move that case along further. Now, Chad's has lots of time, um, is plenty of time, and he's had the benefit of watching Lori's proceedings. And so it's not the same argument at all. Um, and so hers was taken off as a penalty. Um, but, you know, I think that everybody, at least I believe, that everybody believes that Chad actually is the one who who, who murdered these children um, and put them on in his property. I mean, Lori, I think the evidence was pretty, was showing that she was not there. Um, she knew all about it. She planned all of it. Um, she conspired it. But I think Alex and or um, Chad are the ones that actually laid hands on those kids and, and did such terrible, terrible things to them. So um, I think that he is definitely uh, could be looking at the death penalty. I mean, Gene, you've seen it all. Um, it doesn't get worse than the murder of two children, does it? No. And not, and the way in which these children were, were murdered in particular was particularly heinous um, and torturous. Um, you know, they can't even figure out um, the manner of death, you know, um, in one instance and the other, you know, with, you know, the suffocation and just, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's horrible. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, they're definitely looking at, he's definitely looking at the death penalty. Yeah. Um, I, and I mean, too, I'm going to tell you, 
the crime scene photos that that jury will see of those children's bodies will stick with them for the rest of their life. I don't have to close my eyes. I can see it, and it was as horrific as you could have imagined. Um, Lorna McKenzie with a great comment. Chad's on a highway to hell. Uh, that is for damn sure. And he's moving there very quickly. Uh, he's, he's going way above the speed limit. Um, Mel Mack, I think he, Chad's going to roll on Lori. Uh, Tar, just curious, you know, everyone's in love. Uh, to, you know, they, they say everyone's a fighter. Mike Tyson used to say everyone can fight until you get punched in the face. Well, everyone's in love until you're convicted of uh, murder and then the fingers start to point. Do you think that Chad Daybell is going to turn on, um, on Lori? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I agree with Gigi. I think that um, he is going to save his own hide. I think he's more, he has, he's such a narcissist. He has that narcissistic characteristic and, and he's, he's more concerned about himself than anything else. Um, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, just spot on those pleadings that they filed. I read through the defense motions on, um, you know, trying to, to uh, uh, strike the death penalty. And their argument was, you know, there is a line of case law which suggests that um, if a defendant if co in, in between co-defendants, if one co-defendant has less culpability that, you know, there has to be some sort of consistency as far as the punishment or the sentencing. Now, the cases that they cited, the factual background, I, I don't think apply here. And I really do think it's kind of a long shot. Um, but in support of their motions, they're writing all sorts of stuff and pulling out um, citations from Lori's trial, the testimony and the state's theory saying that, you know, the state's theory is that, oh, you know, I, Lori was the mastermind and Chad just was doing everything that Lori said and so on and so forth. He's not coming out and saying that he's going to take that position, but why, why highlight those things, you know? And so um, I think, I think it is very likely that he will absolutely throw Lori under the bus here. I would tend to agree with you. Um, 503 decal. This is interesting. I was a corrections officer at the prison. Chad will most likely go to uh, which prison is that? And if you want to come on and tell us about it, surviving the survivor at gmail.com. I love when uh, members of STS nation are uh, either directly or peripherally involved. I would say at best guess, better community. I get a lot of information from you guys and we cover a lot of different cases. So it's great uh, when we get input from you. Peony Pink, with this input, my 14-year-old son is now into ACDC. They are <laughs> generational Aussie rockers. Michael, even in Mumbai, imagine being big enough that your people are watching you and not me, I'm talking ACDC and Mumbai all over the world. Everyone's buying your albums. It's crazy. And look at this. I am not T-Pain. No shade to ACDC. They're good, and I listen to them. But T-Pain, who I never heard of as a better rapper, you're going to say, I just can't, uh, just can't imagine. I just can't imagine they look quite different live when they did back in the 80s. Um, who said I saw them in the 80s? I'm not T-Pain. Who's saying that? <laughs> I never said I saw them in the 80s. Um, but maybe I did in Worcester, Massachusetts. I think that was the first time I saw him at MSG. I think the rest of them were in the nineties, but God, I wish I had that shirt. Um, so back to, um, these cameras in the courtroom, John Pryor, that is Chad Daybell's attorney. And we remember him from the Lori Vallow case because he would show up periodically. Gigi, he says that the primary reason 
Mr. Daybell, Dopey Daybell, wants cameras as for his family in Utah to watch the proceedings. They'd like to be able to view it. Cameras keep everybody honest. They keep the system honest. They keep the witnesses honest. They keep everyone honest. Do you agree with that, Gigi? I agree with everything, but I'm going to tell you, Joel, sitting in six weeks and reading some of these, you know, smutty texts and learning about what the storm is, I don't know that I want my family to be sitting there with popcorn consuming that stuff. It's very embarrassing. Even John Pryor got embarrassed when these texts were bouncing off the walls. You know, we looked at these poor poor jurors and they're like, oh my God, like really? They, They texted that? So no, but I do think that the other parts that, you know, making it public, it's 2023. We live in a very different world than we used to. And I think that live streaming trials does have the tendency to keep it honest. At the same time, you know, there's always cons, which is you open it up to uh, witnesses seeing it, reading comments of what people are saying. But I'm a fan of, of streaming mainly because I like to work in my PJs at home. So it's very selfish. <laughs> no, I'm That's, not sure I trust John Pryor's motivation for wanting cameras in the courtroom, but yeah, I agree Gene, with you. Gene, what do you so what do you, Gene, what do you think's behind it? I think John Pryor's interested in John Pryor. Nope. Very, uh, very interesting. Well, so he he would always run so of course the media would follow him when he would leave the uh the courthouse. And it was almost like a game to him. He would kind of giggle and run away from the media. And we were all kind of like, it's so weird. It's like playing a game of hide and seek. You know, yeah, we're well, like, that's very we weird. just haven't got to you yet to tag you. And it's just kind of that little giggle. He ate it up. So, you know, I agree with her. It's going to be his moment in the spotlight. And, you know, he wanted it. So maybe, well, he's going to get it now. Well, let me ask you this: what what's go, what's going on there? I mean, if why is he running from the cameras? Were you guys able to ever uh, like corral him and get him in and talk to we, him? Yeah, I mean, like you could talk to him in the courtroom. I sat behind him several times. Um, over on Lori's side, if somebody, you know how it is in courts, you got your seat, and God forbid somebody come in and take a public seat that you've deemed yours. So I was on Lori's side a few times, and, you know, he just exchanged pleasantries, nothing major. But when the media, you know, there was a lot out there the entire trial. So you got seven or eight cameras running your way, and then you got to wait for that little thing to tell you you could walk. So he kind of thought it was funny and giggled, and we all kind of thought it was a little bizarre. But I said, he's a ham. He eats it up. I said, he's going to want that trial televised. And here we are. Yeah. Uh, this comment, by the way, is funny for me and no one else. Uh, Lori says, Chud is going down. One of my oldest childhood friends is Steve Chudnick. And we call him Chud. So when I see this, I immediately think of Steve Chudnick, who is a character. The guy's a librarian. He's probably the smartest guy I know and loves Philadelphia Eagles football. And there's a lot of crazy Chud stories. Oh, my God. Don't use real names, she says. Um, it's fine. It's Chud. Anyway, Chud, Chud's been a part of my life. By the way, Chud introduced me to Coast to Coast AM, which I still listen to, which is an overnight. Now, this is going to really date me. I'm not that old, by the way, but I've always listened to radio. And if you don't know Coast to Coast AM, it had the most famous host, Art Bell. It's an overnight radio show. It's on from 1 a.m. Eastern to 5 a.m. Eastern time. They talk about aliens, UFOs, conspiracy theories. It is the most listened to radio show uh, in the world overnight. And it is, uh, it's like 1950 style. It takes you back into a weird, weird place. And the COE can attest to the fact that she has to listen to that to this day, every night. It's like my pacifier. I cannot go to bed without <laughs> Coast to Coast AM. Um, moving along, back to cameras. 
I could hear my mother's voice in my head. Stop talking about yourself, especially, <laughs> especially stupid stuff. Um, so Tara Malik, um, East Idaho, uh, news, East Idaho news. We all know Nate Eaton from there made a name for himself in this case, the Idaho statement and others statesmen and others kept shout out to Kevin Fixler there. They hired their own attorney. They want cameras in the courtroom. Uh, they say with guidelines from the court, cameras allow the public to understand what goes on firsthand in the courtroom. It goes on and on and on. And uh, Judge Boyce basically shot them down and said, hey, I don't want a circus here. But what do you think of this issue? I think I've talked to you about this before. Um, is there really a difference? I mean, the court is going to have a camera, but they're going to be in control of it. Media outlets always like to be in control what do you think? Should the judge be in control with his YouTube channel or should each separate media outlet be allowed to have their own independence? You know, I, I, I'm in the camp of more transparency is better in these circumstances and situations. I, I can understand absolutely where the judge is coming from. You know, we've all, and it's probably everyone's tired of hearing about it now, but we don't, we never want a case to, um, really spiral out of control and go from something that that is talking about a really serious topic. I mean, you're talking about murders, we're talking about ch children's murders uh, and adults here and to turn into some sort of circus, right? Because, you know, someone is just um, taking and exploiting the opportunity that they have to um, broadcast what's going on on the inside. And, and, and the example is, of course, the O.J. Simpson trial, right? Because that turned into this, this whole big circus. And, you know, we were far down this path. We're certainly a long ways from that trial, which occurred. Um, but I think that the judge's concerns are valid. And then the other thing, just a logistical point, you know, when you're sitting in court as trial counsel, you're doing a bunch of things. Not only are you sitting there and taking the questions, you know, asking questions in a direct or a cross examination, but you've got your client right there. You may be talking to your client. You may be taking notes on a notepad. You may be typing on a laptop or a computer notes for follow up. And so, you know, there's this other concern as well, which is, you know, what happens if someone with a camera is sitting behind you and you're the attorney taking these notes and your notes are now being broadcast in our public or end up in the newspaper the next day, these private notes. So, you know, there's, I think it is a sensitive topic. You know, it would be nice if the court said, sure, we'll allow cameras in, we'll also do a live stream, but, you know, here are the rules for the cameras. And if anyone violates those rules, um, you know, you're out, you can't do it. I, I think that would be a reasonable you know, kind of middle ground approach. I, I don't think that the position the court took is wrong. It, it's just on, you know, it, it does certainly limit um, the public's interaction with an ability to really experience what's happening in the courtroom. Uh, Mary Griffin, this was a super sad element of this whole uh, case. Has Tylee's body, Gigi, been released for burial? I believe I read that it had been. Um, we've had Kay and Larry Woodcock on, uh, the grandparents, I know that you're close with them. Uh, answer to the question, plus, how are they doing? Uh, muted, muted, muted. My bad. I'm off my game, Joel. Got to um, get on it. <laughs> Kay and Larry are doing are doing good. Uh, Tylee's body has not been released. John Pryor wanted to hire his own anthropologist to try and determine a cause of death for Tylee, which, as we know, the first go around, they couldn't find a cause of death. On the other hand, JJ's has been released, but um, I, I'm not sure when Tylee's will happen, whether or not they get this test done. I, I assume maybe that's what they're waiting on. 
So hopefully soon. Um, it's, it's been over three years. Gene, what about that? I mean, that sounds like cruel and unusual punishment, just inhumane at this point to the family. Uh, the lawyer, John Pryor, wants um, an anthropologist now to look at this basically massacred body at this point. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is it necessary? I mean, it doesn't seem necessary to me. Um, I, I don't know what his what legal theory he could possibly be putting out there um, that somehow helps him. Um, but, um, you know, the, yeah, that maybe she died quickly and not torturously with her body all then dismembered. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't really know. It's just, it's, it's bizarre. Um, and, and this has gone on for a long time. So I, I don't, yeah, I don't really understand that from, you know, it doesn't get him anywhere prosecutorial-wise. I mean, I don't really understand, um, or defense-wise, I don't really know what his legal theory is on that. Tara, I mean, again, not to belabor the point, but it almost just seems cruel at this point. You know, they're not releasing the body so he can run additional tests. But to Gene's point, you know, do you see any value in determining her death at this point? I mean, you know, it's... Yes, there is always some value there, but, but, you know, a lot enough to withhold this body from the family for this long. I mean, I, I really struggle with that personally. I, I don't, you know, I, I think it is, um, unfortunately, our criminal justice system often is not super kind to victims or victims' family and not because it's intentional, but just as a collateral consequence of these processes and procedures that are in place to, you know, make sure that due process is um, upheld. And this is one of those instances where, you know, the human man aspect comes into play, it really comes into play. It's like this, this family wants her return. I can understand that. And, you know, personally, I don't know that there's a lot of remaining value of continuing to test her body. Um, you know, there, there is, there may be an appeal and that is always on the table um, as to if, they, if this is remanded down for a new trial, for instance, because of some mistake um, that the uh, uh, Supreme Court sees. Um, but, you know, a, a tough situation all around, really. Hey, Jill, I just want to say it is like a forensic anthropologist. They're able to look for tool marks. Um, they can tell sometimes what kind of tools were used in dismemberment, whether there were stop and starts. There's so much they can tell if the bones are in a condition to where they can. But I tell you, from what we saw, we didn't see a whole lot of um, solid pieces of Tylee, I guess you could say, with not, you know, it, it, her, her remains were in such terrible shape and, and there weren't a lot. But is there a reason that Lori's uh, defense team didn't do that and now prior to wants, you know, wants a shot at it? You know, I... I don't know. I'm scratching my head, honestly, over that. I mean, the bottom line is her body was, her remains, what was left of it, were found um, in his yard. So does, you know, would it be nice at least to know how she was killed? Of course, it's always something good to know, but I don't know that it matters at the end of the day. I mean, she clearly was murdered and dismembered and, and you know, how it was done. People, you know, they did hear the gunshot. Somebody, a neighbor heard a gunshot in the barn, um, I got a feeling at Chad's trial, we're going to find out maybe that's where she was dismembered. Some things in Chad's trial didn't get to come in in Lori's. So maybe we'll find out 
more about what they found in that barn. We do know they found the DNA on the pickaxe that was Tylee's, but, um, you know, it's going to be a hard do you sell. Think, do you think that Chad was the one who actually carried out the murders himself? I, I think it was Alex. Um, and I wouldn't honestly doubt it if Lori, at least with JJ, wasn't involved somehow because you have that story, Melanie Gibb and David Warwick, who were there the night JJ was murdered visiting Lori, where they tried, he had a nightmare. David Warwick had this nightmare. They were trying to get a hold of Lori so she could give him some blessings so he could go back to sleep and called, texted, no response, jiggled that door handle, never could get her to come to the door. That was about 2, 3 a.m., I believe. So, you know, maybe Lori did have a hand in one or both, but, you know, it's, I, I don't know. It's, um, it, you know, then we heard things like when Chad took JJ up to put him to bed, uh, when Chad came down, he had scratches on his neck. Chad's a pretty tall guy. You don't notice that on TV, he's over six foot tall, that would indicate maybe he was leaning over the kid, you know, and the kid's fighting back. Um, so I don't know. I want to see where Chad's phone pings are. Where were, where was he at during critical times? We just don't know yet. Gigi, man, you should have been a lawyer. You're good. You're good. Then she, I feel bad talking. See, like I can't though. If well, I start to yell at people or accuse them of stuff, I, I feel guilty. Like I can't. <laughs> you should have worried about you, but you're a killer. <laughs> Um, look at this. Can someone send a link of Joel with Nancy Grace? I'm going to put that on Twitter at Podcast SDS, on Twitter at Podcast SES, and on Instagram at Surviving the Survivor. But I'm glad they brought up Nancy Grace because it's important here. Um, you know, N Nancy, when I say she reprimanded me, I say it kind of tongue in cheek. But, you know, I, I was telling her that the Adelson case on the podcast is really one of the most fascinating cases, and Gigi's digging into it. And she stopped me right away. She said, Joel, 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 Joel. She's like, my fiance was murdered and victim. And it's it's very true. Like, we forget about this. And sometimes we just talk about it, you know, like we're watching a movie. And I think it is important to check ourselves uh, frequently here. I mean, these are two young children. Literally didn't get a star at life yet. Um, and it's, you know, I have my own kids now. And if I think about it, you know, I will probably weep. But got to think, you know, these were real humans um and their lives were literally snuffed out by these horrific people for horrific reasons um i have no idea the answer to this i've been told different things gene fisher you might know the answer to this can inmates watch podcasts uh gene fisher the most important question of the evening you know i've heard some people are um able to get information i can tell you this that i know that btk uh the serial killer dennis raider uh, his daughter, Carrie Rawson, is a friend of the show. I still talk to her. Um, I know he's gotten information about our podcast in prison, um, and they're able to access it. But, Gene, is it different in every facility? Can people access things online in jail now? Yeah, you know, I think that they can, um, you know, with library time and, and um, you know, whether that they can do that live. But certainly they have recordings and they have the yeah, capacity to get online and be able to listen to 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 different podcasts. And, and I remember that episode um, with BTK and, and his daughter and, and her talking about how much information he was getting online um, or in prison and online. And so, yeah, I think, I think that they, they can and they, and they do. Yeah. The mm -hmm. tablets have a podcast option, but mm -hmm. you have to have money on your books to be able yeah. to do any of that. I got three emails from Lori Vallow through JPay asking me for money, by the way, wow. to fund her media account. 
And um, so I sent her some stamps because I was like, hey, maybe I could find out if her and Chad are together or what's up. Wow. And I got scammed by Lori Vallow while she was in solitary. So excuse <laughs> me while I get my clown makeup. Um, you know, I asked some people that I needed to ask if I should maybe go in and try to find some things out. Not wasn't planning on doing a podcast, but nah, she stole my money from solitary. Emailed me a sec a third time asking for money. And guess what she got? No response. Wow. Me once, you know. Yeah, what a what a shyster. But was she do you know if she was listening? Was she listening? Well, Did we, we don't know if she's listening, but I do know from my contact that's in a California women's prison, their mm. tablets do have podcasts. They can pretty much get like Apple podcasts and and listen. So yeah, there's no telling who's listening to you. Maybe maybe Donna's listening to you right now. Yeah, my mom is so paranoid that our cell phones are listening to us. Uh, <laughs> Taylor, Taylor Burton uh, with a question for you, Gigi. Couldn't Lori have participated in the murder at the apartments or at Yellowstone prior to the dismemberment and burying at Chad's property? What do you think? Hundred percent, she could have, and I don't. I would not be surprised if she did. I, it's something I don't think we'll ever know. She'll never really tell. But I wouldn't put it past her. You know, in her mind, like you heard, my children come to me. You know, every night, Tammy, my good friend Tammy. I mean, it was delusional, but you know, in her mind, she was doing. I guess you know what her her calling was. You know, and then, but it's just interesting that when things got weird or or whatever, uh, all of a sudden people turned dark. And I'll always kind of just wonder if maybe Tylee did not bring up something about Charles and what happened that day. And, you know, she didn't want to move to Idaho. I think she only moved to make sure JJ was taken care of. It was clear her mom was just enamored with the wackadoodles over there. And um, she went to be with her little brother and to keep him safe. He was autistic. He needed some hands-on care. And every video we've seen, which was few because Tylee was only there a week before she was murdered, it was Tylee and JJ. You know, she was outside playing with them. The the last one in Yellowstone, the day or the evening that she was murdered. Um, yeah, it's, oh gosh, I tell you, I can sit and think about this case, Joel. And and as much as I know, I'm blown away every time I think about just the the outline of what happened. Yeah, it's, Still, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it is. It's incredible. It's incredible that any human beings could do this to any other human beings, let alone their children, um, let alone young people. Um, Janet here uh, for Tara. In Chad's hearing, he seems quite dull and only stares straight ahead. Do you think he's medicated or being treated for something? Or is he just a boring drip of a dull human being, Tara Malik? What do you think? Um, are these defendants, are they medicated? That came up again in the Charlie Adelson trial. Charlie Adelson developed sort of like a facial tick with a blink going on, and people were convinced that he was uh, medicated. But what, what's the protocol here? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, they have access to medical while they're in jail and in prison. And, you know, that that kind of falls under that big umbrella of the duties of the jail while an inmate is in custody. Um, someone is in custody to make sure that their needs, their basic needs are met. And if he's having a problem or an issue, he would have access to medical care in the jail facility. Um, you know, him personally, is he is he just checked out? Is he dull? Is he, you know, just avoidant and blocking it all out? I'm not sure. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do and there's a lot of formality to these proceedings as well. So, you know, he just may be sitting there and doing what his attorney said for him to do, which is don't say anything, don't do anything, don't make a face, you know, let me do all the talking here. So that's, that's the other side of it. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't blink. I was convinced, you know, for three or four hearings that my computer froze. I was about to restart, and then finally it's like, boop, 
I said, oh, he's just really still. He, he could do good in Times Square as one of those statues. And then you walk up and they scare you. Because, wow. I mean, he was stone-faced. I was like, my computer, of all times to freeze. No, he's frozen. <laughs> um, it's weird to me that Lori would be into Chad, but that's a whole other issue. 503 decal. I worked at IMSI, Idaho's maximum security institution uh, for men. That can't be a very pleasant uh, place. Um, I have a question. Did I hear right that Chad and Lori can talk on the phone, Gigi? Uh, mm -hmm. Do you know? No, they cannot speak no. to each other. Okay. Uh, they can't. Uh, no. Look at this. I am not too pain. Well, Joel, I think it's a good time to let you know that you are not as young as you once were, and it's time to accept it. Just today, my beloved mother, who's pointing over my shoulder. By the way, I'm having like studio panic. I might have to rearrange the studio, tone it down a little bit, put this on another wall. That's all in uh, development stages. We're talking about it with the COE. But just today, my mother called. She wanted to cheer me up. And how did she cheer me up? She told me that the span from 50 to 80, she's 84. She says it goes by literally in the blink of an eye. And soon you two will be on death's door. That's what she said to me. So she <laughs> said, you should really enjoy life now. Um, that is a very true conversation. It happened today. And you'll hear a lot more about that in my book. I guess it's supposed to be optimistic because then you enjoy life now before you become 80, uh, as it moves very quickly. But as they say, the days are long, but the years are short. When you have three kids, <laughs> the days can be very long. Um, Gene, and we'll wrap up in just a couple of minutes. I think people think I've lost my mind tonight. No coffee, but just a, in a weird mood. Judge Boyce, so he granted motion from, pros for, from prosecutors to amend some parts of the indictment, some of which were clerical errors, others more substantive. The judge denied a motion from John Pryor. He denied a motion from Pryor to limit prosecutors' arguments during the trial to be consistent with arguments they made during Vallow Daybell's trial. And this was his quote. You can't make one legal argument in terms of who is the culpable person and who is leading the conspiracy in one trial and then change it to someone else during the other trial. Is that a fair point? Well, I think that the judge um, is going to, you know, watch that carefully from the state. Um, and, and and I think that is how he ruled. I didn't really understand how you, how you read that. As I read that quote, um, I understood that the judge said that the, that the state is not going to be allowed to, you know, flip the evidence to such a degree um, that it presents a, a different, um, a completely different, uh, means or um, what am I trying to say? You have to read that quote again because it's a little confusing. I mean, it the is. judge is going to hold the state to essentially the, a lot of the same evidence that they that they had uh, with Lori. Yeah, um, and they're not going to be able to let them go like this um, yeah. in order to get a conviction against Chad um, by changing things so so direct so indirectly. Does that make I, sense? Yeah, it does make sense, and I think that is exactly what they're saying, Chad. Uh, hey. I'll wave the speedy trial. Go ahead, Chief. Sorry, I just found a filing there. Um, it was a motion confirming there is no court order restricting contract between the defendant and his co-defendant. It says that the court um, the court never entered any order prohibiting communication between Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow Daybell. Accordingly, the court confirms there is no order in this case precluding communication between Chad and Lori. So I guess well, that that's as of now. 
because now that the case is over with uh, with Lori, the judge no longer has any jurisdiction. Um, and when he sentenced her, he didn't add as part of the sentence, you shall have no contact with Chad Daybell. So, I mean, he he doesn't have any more jurisdiction over the case. Um, gotcha. Now, so, it, you know, whether that changes with Chad mm-hmm. um, could be something, you know, could be different. But remember, all those phone calls are recorded. Yeah. Um, okay. And everybody, you know, she's in prison, he's in jail. All the phone calls are recorded. Um, for them, for anybody to listen to um, from either of the correctional facilities. So um, there, there is that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, Donald Adelson didn't get that memo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Diana Johnson, a super sticker here. Will Zulema and Melanie be called again? Chad wanted the cameras for his kids uh, so his kids could see. Love seeing you, Gigi. Gigi, do you want to respond to Diana? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of the same witnesses, a lot of the same facts. Uh, maybe some different things as far as Chad's phone information, pings and things like that. But yeah, no, I think they're both on the witness list. And it's it's going to be kind of a, a repeat in a large way of Lori's trial, just with some uniqueness to Chad, especially because he has the murder of Tammy Daybell to where Lori had conspiracy. We're maybe going to hear from his son, Garth, who was there when Tammy died. So maybe some different ones. That aspect of the trial, I think, will be very different. Hmm. Uh, lastly, here, before we get some closing thoughts, and remember, we're going to be back in, what is it, 12 minutes, 12 minutes for the next show, believe it or not. Um, kind of in a prelude to what we might expect, John Pryor, Tara, wrote, and I quote here, Lori set the conspiracy in motion, manipulating both Alex Cox and Chad Daybell and remained in charge of her plan throughout. Um, is that just a given now that, you know, that that he's turning on her? Is there anything to even read between the lines here? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I part of the problem is we haven't heard a lot from prior until these recent motions. So trying to figure out what their theory of the case is like this, these motions, I think, to me, are more indicative of where this trial is going to go than anything that we've seen so far from this group. Um yeah, I mean, it sounds to me like they are just um, starting down this path of we're going to throw Lori under the bus and, you know, she was the mastermind and we were all puppets and so on and so forth. Now, you know, but but recall, Chad has, it's either two or I think three different charges, additional charges that Lori didn't in his indictment. So he's got the murder and then he had... Um, uh, the kind of the, the, uh, uh, I think it was a fraud type of claim as well regarding the proceeds from his ex-wife's or his wife's death, um, and what he used those funds for. So, you know, yes, on some of the stuff, there has to be some consistency on some of the stuff that, that, you know, we've heard already in Lori's case, this co-conspiracy between them, but he's going to have to take a different position as it comes to the financial uh, theft type of crimes as well here, and I'm not I'm not certain how he's going to um, do that, but I guess we'll see what defense comes up with. I don't know what's going on with Bart L here. Hard to believe this channel suddenly supports Wendy Adelson staying free, and now you're trying to keep Melanie Pulowski free. Oh my God, WT! Did, unless I missed my own show, I don't recall anyone saying this, Bart. So. Um, Maybe back off the edibles. I don't know, but um, 
I won't give you a buzz off for that, but I think you're uh, you're creating revisionist history. So uh, even Gen X granny just said, Bart, that's silly. Uh, last thing here. Um, John Pryor goes on. Gene, to you here, Lori manipulated Chad through emotional and sexual control. This is a direct quote. And Chad was not going to act without Lori saying so. Per the state's own presentation of evidence and arguments in the trial of Lori Vallow, Mr. Daybell has lesser culp- culpability than his co-defendant who did not face the death penalty. I mean, he's trying to save face and get him off the death penalty, but what's happening here? I mean, is he is he just is he using Lori as an instrument to try to lessen the burden on Chad right now? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the fact is Lori didn't didn't get the death penalty. Um, and he is, he is trying to opine that Lori was the mastermind, that she's the one that held everybody um, and planned all this and worked all this out. And if she didn't get the death penalty, then I shouldn't get the death penalty. I mean, I think he's just trying to save her, save his client um, from the death penalty. I do think it's interesting to listen again to that take, to that, um, yeah, that phone call between Chad and Lori when they are at his house searching the backyard and he calls Lori and man, he's, his tone is flat and Lori's like, not really, you know, not too overly concerned. And I think in that very moment, their relationship changed just like that. Um, when, when he makes that phone call and lets her know that law enforcement is there on the property and she's like, well, are they in the house? And he's like, no, they're in the yard. And Lori is, um, I think, I I mean, honestly, when you look at it now and you know the facts, I I think in that very moment, their relationship completely changed. So, um, nobody asked me, but I don't think he's still in love with Lori. Um, I think maybe he's like, Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Gene, we all we all want to know what you think, Gene, and that's good to know. Um, I am not T-Pain. Here's Joel and Nancy Grace. T-Pain, can you do me a huge favor and uh, email that to me, please? And then Yala says, oh, the Nancy Grace episode with Joel is in YouTube. I thought it was audio only. So did I. But I guess you can put audio because if it's not audio, I was laying on my bed this morning and uh, had a pillow basically over my head. So um, I hope there was no cameras, um, and I hope it was only audio. Tara Malik, she is an Idaho licensed attorney. She practices in both state and federal court. She runs around the great state of Idaho from office to office. She has experience in both civil and criminal law. Tara, I've asked you this before. Are you ever running for political office again? I don't. I don't know. I'm pretty busy right now with law practice, so not mm. uh, in the near future. One day she will be governor of the great state of Idaho. Um, your your final thoughts tonight, Tara, on how this all turns. Well, uh, I think that the reality is sinking in for Chad. I think that um, it is likely that who he's who he's um, and how he's presenting himself right now, which is this kind of flat uh, personality, could be a result of you know just this realization that he could face the death penalty here. Um, and, uh, you know, I will be interested to see whether he um, tries to strike some sort of deal at the last minute before this trial occurs. I don't think uh, he is the type of individual who will be, um, he'll do well under pressure. 
So I think that's his big boisterous personality is when he's in control. And I think it's just starting to sink in for him how uh, little control he has over this situation. Hmm. Keen Fisher, uh, she recently retired after nearly nearly 33 years of service at the Ada County Prosecutor's Office as a special crimes unit chief. She has uh, been around, seen it all. Um, if there was a surprise to come our way in uh, either of these cases, um, Jean, what do you think it might be? That Chad pleads guilty. Mm. That's a deal. Yeah. But I don't see that really happening. Um, I, honestly, I, I don't. I should be careful what I say, but I think John Pryor is going to drive this thing to trial. Mm. We'll read between the lines. Thank you, Jean. Uh, last but not least, the woman with the Zen studio, Gigi McKelvey, who I consider a friend. She is a host of the popular true crime podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. She spent six weeks in Boise, Idaho. She knows all the players. She probably knows this case better than anyone. Gigi, just your final thoughts on uh, tonight's show. Well, it's just um, it's time for another round of justice. And we've got one big trial out of the way. And, you know, hopefully once this in Arizona and then Chad's trial wraps up. I just want these families on all sides to have some time to properly be able to grieve, uh, lay these children to rest the way they deserve to be, and be done with the judicial process. I mean, it's been a, such a long road. 2019, December, you know, is when, the, November is when this all kicked into high gear. It's almost 2024. So I'm glad, you know, they kind of fade out of the news and then bam, we got them both in the news at the same time. But let's get going get justice for everybody, and then, you know, put them away. Love you, America. Thank you. Great uh, best guest panel. Appreciate it. Love you, Idaho. Love you, South Carolina. Love you, Jersey. Love you, ACDC. Till, uh, till four minutes from now. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up, for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> <laughs>